0: Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We are continuing our series on the one another commands in the New Testament, and today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to just focus on verses 30 to 32, but I want to begin by reading from verse 25 all the way down to chapter 5, verse 1. So follow with me as I read this, and then we'll pray and get into it together starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And this is where we're going to focus. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Father, we pray that you would, <laughs> you would do for us that we can't do, Lord. We cannot imitate you unless we see you as you are, and unless your Holy Spirit does a work in us. And so we pray, Father, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do what needs to be done in us, that we would truly learn what it means to forgive one another. Do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone who agrees says, amen. Amen. In a blog entitled, To Hell with Forgiveness Culture, a blogger named uh, Sabina Birdsong writes this, Forgiveness is not justice. Western culture has a deep religious hangover from Christianity. This mindset often leads in edicts like forgive and forget and turn the other cheek. It is victim blaming. Forgiveness requires remorse in your actions and the desire to change. It must be earned. That's heavy, isn't it? But there's some truth there. Truth that I hope we unpack. There's a combination there of a misunderstanding, some misrepresentation, and some truth. Forgiveness is so radically important. Just listen to how Jesus talks about forgiveness. He taught us to pray, didn't he? Listen, he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And then to emphasize how serious he is about praying about forgiveness or praying towards forgiveness and forgiving, he follows it up by this. Listen, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Heavy, isn't it? How do we deal with these kinds of tensions? Here we are, especially for us who are Jesus followers, we want to do what the Lord calls us to do. We want to be a forgiving people. We recognize that he says it's not an option for us. But we hear this current sentiment. We live in an age where we, 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 we Because everything is on social media, and we see the sins that everyone does, and then we live in a time where people are kind of having what one writer called forg- forgiveness fatigue. We're sick of having to forgive injustices. We live in this place, and we think, well, how do we deal with this? If Jesus says, if you follow me, you have to forgive, well, you're not forgiven. With the fact that there has been this sense of, well, just forgive, or You know, don't be a victim or there can be this kind of thing. How do we balance these things together? How do we bring these things together? Well, the thing that we need to recognize as Jesus followers is we need to start with him. We need to start with what he tells us we need to do and then recognize from there how that fits with the concerns that are in our culture right now. So, what I want to talk about in these just these three verses is three things that we need in order to forgive as we've been forgiven. And the first one I think we need to recognize is we need a dependency on God's Spirit. Paul, Paul writes in, in Philippians, I'm sorry, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's important that we see that we do grieve God's Spirit. We grieve God when we don't receive from him. It's it's important, too, that notice he says to grieve the Spirit. You can't grieve an impersonal force. You can't grieve electricity. And sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit as like a lightning bolt shooting from God's finger and making people convulse or something. But he's not that. He is the third person of our triune God whom we worship and follow and need to learn to trust. And, and we grieve him, listen, when we don't receive from him, when we don't recognize that we need his work. We're dependent upon his work to follow Jesus in everything. And this is really important for us to understand, not in a sense of uh, feeling guilty, but in a sense of being freed, because here's what this, this teaches us. The whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures teaches us that God is not transforming us from a distance. That God is not sitting on high saying, hey, you down there, change. That in the person of Christ, he comes to us, he experiences all the suffering that we can possibly imagine every kind of suffering we've imagined, every kind of injustice that we can imagine or that we've experienced, Jesus experiences that. And then he says to his disciples, it's good for me, it's, or it's, I'm sorry, he says, it's better for you if I go away. Because if I go away, I will send another like me. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And when he sends his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to Christ, who shows us our need and transforms us from the inside out. Listen, listen to what Jesus says about the work of the Holy Spirit. He says in John chapter 16, and when the Holy Spirit comes, this is Jesus speaking, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin in that it refuses to believe in me. If righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you see me anymore. And judgment because the rule of this world has already been judged. So the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is wanting to lead us to Jesus and show us that we should trust Jesus and show us that this world's going to be made right because of Jesus. He's doing this. And he calls us to receive that work, to not fight against it. And really, here, here's the reality. If we feel like, if we're in a place where we feel like, I, I want God's Spirit to do this work, but something's lacking, you know what, Jesus makes it really clear, ask. He says this in John, and sorry, in Luke chapter 11. Jesus says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? One of the things that grieves God's spirit is we don't ask him to help us. Father, send your Spirit to help us even now. So, so we also see, though, there's a reason for this. What does he say in verse 30? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice he says, by whom you were sealed. Now, this this, this word sealed, it's, it's, a, it's a word that has to do with, uh, it's, a, it's a picture of, of when someone who had authority, wanted to, to communicate someone something to someone else or if there was a document that had authority, say like a, a land deed, that the original owner would sign that land deed and giving that land, selling that land to somebody else and he would put wax there and he would put the signet seal from his ring on that deed and it was to say this is now the property of the person who possesses it. It was a way to sort of say, this legally binding act is sealed, it's secure, it's preserved. And the Bible teaches us that this is what God's Spirit does for us. In fact, in the, the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes this a bit earlier. In chapter 1, verse 13. He says, in him, you, in him uh, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy spirit so that when God leads us by his spirit to put our faith in Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus the spirit comes to dwell in us we're sealed identified we belong to God his spirit confirms it why is this important because talking about dependency on God's spirit it's him who secures the identity that Christ has provided for us And this is really important as we're dealing with, listen, the injustices and the sufferings that we face, especially when they happen from other believers. Because the truth is, listen, as as serious and as heartbreaking your suffering has been, it is not your identity. It's a temporary thing. Hallelujah. It's a temporary thing. And we, we can't deal with these things the right way if we don't depend on the Spirit to remind us and to empower us that we belong to God because of Christ. This is important. Dependency on the Holy Spirit is also the, the recognition that he, he seals us for a purpose. What does it say, verse 30 again? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for what? For the day of Redemption. Redemption is a word that's that it's a, it's actually a, a word picture. It's a, it's a word that's kind of taken from uh, uh, the slave trade in the first century. And it's the idea that uh, what, what happens is if, if a slave was under a master and wanted to have freedom from that master, it, it was possible that he could, a, a ransom price could be paid to the master and set that slave free And that ransom price is called redemption. When he's been set free, when the price has been paid, redemption takes place, and that slave is no longer a slave. That slave is free. And so when the Bible talks about the day of redemption, it's talking about this freedom, this glorious liberty that Christ paid for, for us. It's a liberty, a freedom from the punishment of sin, It's a freedom from uh, the power of sin. And one day soon, and very soon, it's a freedom from the presence of sin. He provides this. And that day when we're free from the presence of sin is when Jesus comes back and guess what? It's called the day of redemption. This is what we're longing for. Now, Now, all this is really important. And all this really does feed into understanding forgiveness. Because listen, what God's spirit is wanting to do is to change us while we're waiting for the day of redemption. And it's something that we can be guaranteed, something we can be assured of. Paul says this in Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Is that good news? It's awesome. We can trust God's spirit to apply the work of God's son to the glory of God the Father, and for our good eternally. We can trust him. We have to trust him. And part of the work of God's spirit is teaching us, is liberating us through both receiving and giving forgiveness. This is a big part of it. So if we're going to forgive one another, it, it, we need to, to learn to depend on God's spirit. But also from verse 31, we learn we need to be willing to, to, cha- to be changed. We need a willingness to be changed. Look at verse 31 again. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, you know what malice is? Well, we'll talk about malice in a second. Before we talk about malice, malice. when Paul says put these things away, he's, then, he, he's implying that these things are part of our kind of natural life. These things come out of us. Uh, Craig read this verse. I don't know if he realized I was going to share this verse, but he read this verse or parts of it uh, today. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Haters going to hate, hate, hate. You guys knew I had to say that. I mean. <laughs> See, it's our nature not to forgive. It's our nature to hold grudges. Our friend, the blogger, who I quoted earlier, this is part of what she's showing. There's a sense in us, part of it is a sense of desire for justice, and part of it is a sense of a desire for vengeance, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we have to recognize, listen, that we need to be changed. In order to forgive others, we need to be changed. It's not in our nature to be merciful, especially when we've been abused badly. Now, malice. What's malice? Malice, here's what it is. It describes wrongful intention. In fact, that's what the word means legally. It's wrongful intent, isn't it? It describes wrongful intention. It's kind of a desire to see someone hurt. I want them to get their due. That's malice. It's the fruit of unforgiveness. So what's bitterness at the beginning of the list? Well, bitterness describes kind of a poisoning of our souls in light of unresolved injustices. When we've been wronged, And we can't see how that wrong will ever be made right. Bitterness tries to take root in our hearts. So, last week, when I knew I was going to be preparing this this week, I was saying to the Lord, God, you know, I don't think I have any bitterness against anybody. I can't think of anybody I haven't forgiven. (laughs) And then my car died. My car died because of the fact that months ago, years ago, when we bought it two years ago, we bought it because it had a warranty, and we were missold the car because that warranty was actually voided because someone had put petrol in the diesel engine, and the person who sold it to us, the the dealership who sold it to us, hid that fact. We found out about a year ago of this, this fact, and I've been going through the process with the ombudsman to try to get it fixed and just kind of hoping and praying that car would last long enough and then Tuesday it died. And they got it to the shop and they said it'll be 10,000 pounds to fix it. And I thought I want to punch someone in the throat. I was so mad. The people, the, the AA guy was great. What a great guy. Super nice guy, really compassionate, helpful. The, the service manager didn't know her. A, I dealt with a different service manager a year ago who was great. This service manager was great. Rental people, great. Everyone was nice to me, but I thought, I want to find someone who's not nice to me so I can get justice. <laughs> and I could feel this bitterness growing. This thing taking root, and that root was wanting to bear fruit in malice. Now these other words, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, you might call these things the leaves and branches of unforgiveness. When we, wrath, in this case, is, is, uh, is in a, a sense of just kind of an outburst. Anger, we all know what anger is. Sometimes it feels like it's just simmering under us when we feel like we've been wronged. Clamors, when you just kind of, it's like complaining. It's like really harsh complaining. Slander, when you speak badly about somebody. It's interesting that, that that Paul uses the word slander, not the word gossip. Gossip can be the right thing about someone, but said in the wrong way. Like you say something bad, negative about somebody, but it's true, but it, you didn't have a right to say that to anybody else. Slander is when you say something that's, Actually, not necessarily true about somebody. But you say it's because you, it's, it's your perspective. Th- the reason I bring this up is because bitterness is always the root of malice. I want this person to hurt for what they did for me. And you need to understand that by itself isn't 100% wrong. It comes from something good it comes from, listen, that kind of anger, that kind of desire to see something dealt with comes from a sense of us being made in the image of God and we want to see justice. As we read earlier, be angry, but don't sin. The problem is, it is there and it grows because of what? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. We need to be changed. See, Paul says, of all these things, verse 31, notice he says, Listen, put away from you all these things. It's like, you know, you can't fully get rid of them. There's nowhere to sort of dump them or recycle them. So what do you do? You just kind of like, I got to stick those away because one day they will be dealt with. You can, listen, you can put away. The old you. Because these things come from our sinful nature, our broken nature, and what Christ has done is provide for us to be able to put those things away. You do not have to be a slave to wrath, anger, clamor, slander, bitterness, and malice. You don't have to be. We don't have to be stuck there. In fact, listen, Here's the reality the old you that's the you before Jesus before Jesus started to by his spirit interrupt your life and bring him to bring you to himself the old you is still tempted with all these things on a daily basis the old you will still fall into these things from time to time but here's the, here's a good, good news the new you in Jesus can begin to say no no I, I don't want that to be what is the fruit coming out of my life you you can be changed if you want to be changed. Are we willing to be changed? See, wanting to be changed, if you are here and you're going, I feel this, I have this anger, this anger and this wrath and this frustration and this, I want someone to pay for what's happened to me. If you feel like that's willing in you, but you're going, but I want to change, guess what? Wanting to change is the first experience of changing the first part of it. It's the first step of it. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, John, I can see why you're you're saying these things from these verses, but I don't see how they connect with forgiveness. And part of that is because we really, this is the third thing we're gonna see in verse 32, we are in desperate need. If we're gonna be forgiving one another, we're in desperate need to get clarity about the cost of forgiveness to really recognize what forgiveness is and why Jesus calls us to have this as as an identifying fruit in our lives that we forgive each other. So let's look at this, verse 32. Paul writes, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. The word kind, it's used lots of times in the New Testament. It's, it's actually translated, it could be translated literally useful. Because the idea is it's implying, listen, it's implying that you're doing good, not just acting nice. That's the idea. Kind. Be kind, he says. Tender-hearted literally means well-compassioned. It implies wanting the best for somebody. In a real sense, it's like the opposite of malice. I want bad for that person. No, tender heartiness. You know, I want good for that person. Forgiveness, listen, involves both hands and heart. When God begins to work in us and show us how we've been forgiven and call us to forgive those who have wronged us, He's not minimizing what happens, but he is calling us to forgive in a way that involves hand and heart. You know why most people leave churches? Unforgiveness. This person hurt me. They didn't bring me up in leadership. They didn't acknowledge my giftedness. No one called me when I was sick. When I was broke, they didn't meet my need. When I was sad, they ignored me. I sat through the whole coffee break and not a single person spoke to me. Are these things that are sin against these people? Yeah, all the times they are. So why do they leave? Unforgiveness. I'm not making excuses for those injustices or for where we have even fallen short of the church. That's not at all. But often it's because of unforgiveness. I don't want to forgive that stuff. And how many times have we've heard something like this and we say, no, no, I forgive them. I forgive them. I just, I don't think I should have anything to do with them anymore. No, we're going to talk about that. Don't worry. There's a place for that. But can we be honest about something? Some of that comes from us just simply being petty and unwilling to forgive. We, we, we don't like the cost of forgiveness because it means we have to absorb something. Uh, but, but, but there's a reason that we need to do this. Listen. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. Now the burning coals on the head thing doesn't necessarily mean you're going, ah, take that. Ah. The burning coals on the head is the idea that when, when someone would need to start a fire, they would borrow coals from a neighbor and carry them on a sort of a, a insulated thing on their head. Carry them, put them on their fire, start their own fire. This so idea you're gonna you're doing something practically good for them. You're showing them that you're willing to share your fire with them here's the thing that you have to understand. That Jesus says to us, listen, we've read this several times. It's come up several times, hasn't it, in the series. Jesus says to us, he says, look, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, the one who sinned against you. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, at this point, talking about forgiveness involving hands and hearts and talking about the need for this, at this point, most sermons involve the, the they'll, 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 at this point, bring in the psychological benefits to forgiveness. And I, I read some studies this week about the psychological benefits of forgiveness. And, and there seems to be those things. But, but here's what I'm concerned with. If we're only doing it because we're benefiting from it, are we understanding Christian forgiveness? See, the cost of forgiveness is about absorbing a wrong done to you. I want you to notice what it says. Be kind kind to one another, tenderhearted. Notice it says forgiving one another. This brings us to the second bit about clarity about the cost of forgiveness. And that is this. Forgiveness identifies both victim and perpetrator. Biblical forgiveness identifies both victim and perpetrator. Now, the the complaint of our blogger friend that I read in the beginning is about the fact that we're not identifying the victim, we're blaming the victim. And there's something to that. That can happen. One of the, the positives about the Me Too movement was it exposed a mindset, a boys will be boys mindset, that is wrong, sinful, unjust. That was a good thing. Now, before you start getting angry at my liberal politics, this is not politics. It's just justice. But here's the reality. Let me ask you a real quick question. This is a very serious question. Are you a victim of sin or are you a perpetrator of sin? Which are you? You are both. We are both. And one of the reasons we struggle with dealing with sins done against us is because we don't recognize our own sinfulness. Part of it is because we oftentimes haven't done the same things, or at least we don't think we've done the same things to other people that have been done for us, done to us. And I can think of some of the things that have been done to me I have not done I have not done to others. And so you can think, okay, all right, yes, okay, I'm a sinner in other ways, but not this way. But the problem is when we think that way, we tend to only identify as victims. And we only identify as victims. You know what we're doing? Resisting the work of the Spirit that says, no, your identity is a son or daughter of God because of Jesus, that's your identity. When we do this, when we only focus on how we've been victimized, and we have been victimized, what we do is we forget that Christ did something to deal with that. There's also, I think, some some practicalities here. One other implies that even as Jesus followers, guess what? We're going to offend, hurt, and sin against each other. Do you think that this is God's way of justifying our sin against each other? Did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery, go and enjoy some more sin? Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Was that his attitude? Then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Sin no more. Is it so, isn't it so clear that Jesus is against sin done to others? Do you know why? Because he sees, rightly, all sin done unto God. But also, I think there's some wisdom here. And I have a little, a little chart. Everyone loves a little chart. It's going to go on the screen. That what, I think we need to see forgiveness in a spectrum. Because I, here's where I, I agree with our blogger friend, that we can be trite about those who have been abused. Well, you're a Christian now, forgive and forget. But my grandfather raped me. Well, I know, but Jesus died for that. And there's a spectrum of forgiveness. Now, listen, we are always called to forgive. But we need to understand, listen, that there's there's a forgiving and bearing with, a forgiving and reconciling, and a forgiving and separating. So how do we discern this? I would say uh, forgiving and bearing with has to do with when people just fall short. People just don't do what they're supposed to do. So how many of you guys have experienced uh, a little bit of pain because I am late to everything? Go ahead, you can raise your hands. I know, you, most of you have, okay? Stephen sort of joked about me forgetting dates and things. I, uh, I fall short. But I'm so thankful that you guys bear with me because i got to bear with you too. We bear with one another. What does that mean? Do we say, okay, John, I think there's a time for you to repent of your tardiness and the fact that you forget. You need to repent of that. Okay, you've repented. Now I forgive you. No, we just bear with each other. Do you see what I'm saying? It's still part of forgiveness. Are you following me? We bear with the fact that people are, are odd. There was a, I was in a house, a house group once. Not recently, don't worry. I was in a house group once, once, a long time ago, in a land far, far away. I was in a house group And at this house group, somebody said something odd. And it was odd. And this person was a little bit odd. Socially awkward. And someone else in the house group says, well, you're an odd bird, aren't you? And people chuckled like you just did. But actually, that person was quite hurt. Why not just bear with the fact that they're a little bit odd? That they sometimes say the wrong thing at the wrong time. You guys follow me? We don't need to address every weakness. By all means, if you can absorb something and not say something, do it. Because guess what? God does it for you all the time. <laughs> Some, the psalmist says, if you, oh Lord, if you were to keep a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. So there's the bearing with one another, forgive and bear with, that comes from we just fall short. But there's also the forgive and reconcile when people have been confronted by you know, sins that are serious, things that are, are, are seen maybe as intentional, or when carelessness gets to the point that, it's, that when you confront it, it's still not being dealt with, where where if, if we bring that to someone's attention, you can read later on for homework, Matthew chapter 18, and see how Jesus says we ought to do this. You go to the person alone. You don't gossip to somebody else about how they've hurt you. You go to them and say, listen, I just, you know, I want to just say when you did this, it hurts. When you do this, I feel like you're not loving me or I feel like you're taking advantage of me or I feel like you're, you know, you're stealing from me, whatever the case might be. And if that person goes, man, I'm sorry. You're right, I was wrong. You don't go, well, okay, but I just don't want to talk to you anymore. You forgive. You reconcile. So you come to me and you say, John, it bothers me that you've never asked me to be involved on the worship team. I, I've hinted to you three times, which is a very British thing to do, to hint. <laughs> I've hinted to you three times, and you haven't picked it up, that I'd like to be on the worship team. What I need to do is say, you know what, I'm sorry. I did pick it up, and I've just been lazy and unthoughtful. Why don't you go talk to Sammy and Abby and see if they have, a, if they have some time to have you audition and play for them. You can't say, it's right. I knew I could trust John. you got to forgive me. we got to be right. we got to move on. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a spectrum. What about forgive and separate? When somebody offends in a way that they refuse to see, they won't repent of it, there's a place for separation. Matthew 18, again, you can read it. There's a place where there's what we call church discipline, where if someone doesn't repent of open sinfulness, we lovingly and with the purpose of restoration, we go to them and say, listen, this isn't what God wants for us as Jesus followers. And we take the time to do this until there's a point where they just refuse to repent. And then there is a place, listen, biblically, there's a clear place to say to somebody, we love you, but you can't come back to fellowship until you're willing to repent of this very clear thing. This is, again, not about, like, I don't like the style of music or I I think John preaches too long. Those are just opinions. Those aren't discipline-worthy things. But I'll tell you, there's been twice where we've had to disfellowship people, and in both cases, we patiently and and, and lovingly and communicated as, as often as we could that we want them with us for a year in one case, for two years in another case, before we said separated. Because we wanted to forgive them. Forgiveness is still there, offered. One of them actually got in contact with me about a year ago. I said, yeah, let's go have breakfast. Didn't follow up with it, but the door's still open. Forgiveness is still offered. But there are also, listen, those kinds of sins, those kinds of abuses that probably our blogger friend is more talking about. Where it's just either too damaging or dangerous to actually come back together with somebody. Can you forgive your abuser and still recognize the uh, heinousness of their abuse? Yes. Does that mean you should be friends with them? Absolutely not. Does that mean you shouldn't tell the police if it's criminal? Absolutely not. But there's a place, listen, for us to forgive. Because forgive is what? What is forgiveness? You know what the word literally means? To forgive means to send away. It's the idea of, I want what was between us to be gone so that you can be as right as you can be with God. And so that one day, because of what Christ has done, we can even be right with each other. I know this is hard to imagine, and please don't take this as an insensitivity to, to, to some of the horrendous things you've gone through. But it is possible that your abuser could repent and come to Christ and be saved. And when you see that abuser in heaven, you can rejoice that they're there and be reconciled for eternity. That is possible. It doesn't mean it has to happen this side of eternity. Do you understand what I mean by forgiveness being a spectrum? We're always called to forgive, but how we deal with the situation, how we deal with the offense, is really dependent upon the seriousness of the offense. Now, a couple scriptures that that I think reinforce this. The first, Colossians chapter three, we read some of this last week, says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. That's one end of the spectrum. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. That's moving the other direction on the spectrum. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Jesus was teaching on forgiveness, and Peter was feeling pretty good about himself. The apostle Peter He was feeling so good about himself that he he wanted to show how he was willing to go past the cultural norm of forgiveness. Because in the Jewish context, what the rabbis would teach is if somebody sinned against you, forgive them. And in the same day they sin against you again, forgive them. If they come to you a third time and they sin against you, forgive them. Forgive three times, up to three times in a day. And Peter hears Jesus talk about forgiveness I'm I'm sure he sees, he's seeing the character of God in Jesus, the mercy and grace of God in Jesus in a way that he's never even understood before. And he's feeling moved and confident. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother, uh, or will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Seven. Seven. I'm getting it, Lord. And you guys know this, right? What does Jesus say? They did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And we're not dumb. We know that's not. Keep a ledger. And when it gets to 490, put the smack down. (laughs) That is not what he's saying. He's obviously saying, listen, don't even keep track. You see, the the thing is, when it comes to forgiveness, the, the forgiveness that he calls us to, is a spectrum. We always have to forgive. We don't always have to forgive or relate or reconcile in the same way. But can you see how forgiveness, when you learn to forgive, you are able to go from malice, I want that person hurt, to tender hardness, I want that person right with God. Now here's the third thing that we see from this verse about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Remember, we have to understand, we have to have clarity on the cost of forgiveness if we're going to learn to forgive each other. Forgiveness cannot be separated from justice. This is where our blogger friend was wrong. When she says forgiveness is not justice, it's because she doesn't understand biblical forgiveness. Because you can't separate forgiveness from justice. You can't. I want to make some statements that I will clarify. But these are statements that I I believe on the teaching of Scripture are absolutely true. If there is no ultimate justice, requiring forgiveness can promote injustice. In other words, if Christ cannot bring ultimate justice, if if there isn't a God who will bring in ultimate justice, forgiveness can promote injustice. We can have happen what this girl was talking about, this blogger was talking about. We can't experience that, what this woman was writing about. And we need to understand that. When people struggle, when unbelievers specifically struggle to, 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 with the doctrine of forgiveness, when they see it as a hangover from Christianity, you have to understand they are blind to the fact that there is a good God who will bring justice. And so they see, rightly, that if that's not the case, then there's a chance for more injustice by calling people to forgive. There's, there's truth to that. So we should be compassionate when people have that view. But here's where the, the, the thinking gets inconsistent because here's a second truth statement I think we have to understand. If there's no ultimate forgiveness, then justice is a hopeless cause. Because if somebody dies before they get dealt with, is that justice? I mean, is not our life full? This, this is what makes a good crime drama that we watch on telly. Sarah and I were watching a series recently where the the, the the main character is just grieving because a young boy was killed by guys they hadn't, weren't able to catch. And so he goes to the funeral, and the young boy grew up in a horrible, abusive home, and he was running the streets, and that's why he was vulnerable, and that's why he got killed. And it's a horrible, dark, sad thing. And he was just so angry, the main character, because he didn't get justice. Because in his mind, unless it happens this side, it never happens happens. Forgiveness is impossible, unjustifiable if there isn't ultimate justice. What's the point of forgiving? Oh, it works for small things, the burying one another. That's nice. We should do that. But really forgiving people who have really sinned against you? doesn't work. And these two true statements are true because I think of this third true statement, at the cross of Jesus, sins are both punished and forgiveness is offered. Both those things happen. Paul writes about it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sin, so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So so Paul explains, and the scripture echoes this all throughout the New Testament, and and it's, it's pictured in the Old Testament sacrificial system, that God requires justice. The wages of sin is death that justice must must, must must, happen. He requires it. He demands it. He does not let anything slide. God isn't just a God of justice or a God who wants justice. God himself is justice. He defines it. He guarantees it. He promises it. And at the cross... One of the ways that God is bringing justice is to absorb all the sin done against him, which includes when we sin against each other. How do you know this, John? Are you sure this is true? Read Psalm 51. It was actually the psalm for the day, providentially. Psalm 51, where David, in, in, the, in a time when he talks about, he's been confronted with his sin in having committing adultery with Bathsheba. Most of us know this famous story. David sinned in that he should have been leading his troops in battle. Instead, he's chilling out at home. David sinned because when he can't sleep, he goes on his roof and he sees a beautiful woman bathing and he covets her. David sins by using his power to bring her into his room and to sleep with her. David sins by covering up, by having her husband come to the house to try to get him drunk so he'll go home and sleep with her because she fell pregnant. David sins by having him, uh, her, her husband, Bathsheba's husband Uriah, go to the front lines and having him killed. And David stays in that sin for a year until Nathan the prophet exposes him. And then when he's exposed, you know what he does? He writes Psalm 51 and he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. David was not ignoring the injustice that he did to Bathsheba and to Uriah and to the nation that he was supposed to lead. He's not ignoring that. He's saying, in doing all that sin horizontally, I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you. And because I've sinned against you, who do I need forgiveness from? You first and then these others after. You see, the Bible's teaching us, Paul's teaching us that Christ became that sin because here's what's happening. God in Christ is absorbing all the sins we've done against him, all of them. So the kinds of sins you've done against others that nobody knows about, that you would be you would be in terror if they were exposed today, Those sins weren't just the sins that you did against someone else. Those sins, even if you did them in private and think nobody else knows about them, those sins are ultimately against a good God who says, this is not what I've created you for. And he absorbs the punishment of those sins. He absorbs the weight of those sins on the cross in a way that's quite mysterious to be honest. And when he does this, when he's being crucified, when Jesus is being crucified unjustly, here's what he says. Jesus said, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they, do not, they know not what they do. Listen, please don't misunderstand me when I say that we're called to forgive one another. If you've, and I say this, I don't say this tritely, I honestly don't know, but if you've been abused by someone in this church, We want to know and hold them to justice. I'm very serious about that. That's why we have a safeguarding policy. If you've been abused by someone who's not in this church and you feel like, well, I'm a Christian, I just need to kind of forgive and forget. No, you do need to forgive. But God wants to deal with that. If you say, well, I've been sinning against somebody and they've died, or I've been sinned against by someone who's died, what do I do? You need to know they're not gonna get away with anything. Nothing. But you can still forgive them. You can still say, Lord, I don't want that between me and them because on the cross, you dealt with all of my sin, all of their sin. And even if they don't benefit from that because they've never repented and turned to you, I don't have to be a slave to this bitterness this malice, this wrath. Because you set me free. See, recognizing the cost that God paid to provide our forgiveness is what motivates us to forgive other people. I, I I don't know what the future holds. I honestly don't. But I suspect it's not gonna get easy for us to be Christians in Great Britain. It's not a prophecy. I'm just saying... I have a sense that things aren't gonna get easier. We're gonna be continually more and more marginalized. People who don't believe in Jesus, and if you're here just kind of checking this stuff out, I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm not falsely, I'm not trying to falsely accuse you. I'm just saying, culturally speaking, Christianity has already moved from being kind of quaint and old-fashioned to dangerous. And if we're going to follow Jesus well, guess what? we're not gonna be able to say, Father, forgive them to know what to do unless we can say to one another, hey, I forgive you, I want nothing between us. I wanna love you as my brother and my sister. That's got to be. If we want people to see, if we want our lives, if we want our suffering to be the canvas that God paints grace on, we have to be willing to forgive. We have to be willing to forgive. Father, I pray that you would help us right now to confess our sins to you and receive forgiveness. Lord, we don't want to search for them. That's even dangerous and stupid. It's not healthy. But Lord, we say search our hearts and show us if there's any wicked way within us that we might confess our sins knowing, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, if we are refusing to forgive, if we're holding against another brother or sister, specifically another brother and sister here in our church fellowship, our church family, God, we ask that you'd forgive us for that. And Lord, if it's if it's a, a something that we can just forgive and bear with, may we do it. If it's something that we need to lovingly and patiently and humbly confront, give us the grace to do that and call those people to repentance. If it's something where, there's never been repentance and it's being repeated by to other people. We're seeing that sin grow. Lord, give us the courage to deal with it rightly biblically. But Lord, we want to be those that are demonstrating the freedom of being forgiven by forgiving. We pray you do this for us, Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Encourage you guys. If there's, if you're holding uh, any kind of grudges against somebody, this might be a good week to deal with that. And uh, just know that in Christ you're forgiven. It's a glorious thing. And be willing to forgive those who've sinned against you. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. God bless.